We're going to be in Galatians chapter 2. We made it to chapter 2. You want to take your uh, version of Scripture and turn to uh, verses 1 through 10. We're going to look at that. So we just finished up last week looking at uh, kind of Paul's brief autobiography. And now we're entering into what I would call the first small preaching section or unit in Galatians. Now, can I just be honest with you this morning, church? Preaching can be a struggle. It really can. And I I have some uh, ammunition for that. Mark Twain, you ever heard of him? No, he's not a preacher, but he said this about a preacher. He said he charged nothing for his preaching, and it was worth it. (laughs) So we're not charging today, but the struggle is real. Spurgeon, the great preacher uh, of, of England, said, All originality and no plagiarism makes for a dull sermon. So... I better steal something today because the struggle is real. And someone else said, this is my favorite, there's a fine line between a long, drawn-out sermon and a hostage situation. And so we won't keep you too long today and have a hostage situation. Let's just preach today. How's that sound? We're going to preach. And let's see how Paul preaches as we read today and uh, how he defended and confirmed the free gospel, God's free gospel. And as we jump in today, just a little background, just to think about this today. Let's picture, if we could today, the, the reading almost like a little drama. Can you do that? Let's think about that for a minute. There's a setting. It's Paul. He's established himself as an independent apostle from the Jerusalem church leaders. He's preaching God's free gospel. And now he is showing that these leaders that he had been independent of are approving of his mission and the gospel to the Gentiles without, without adding anything extra into it. Now, a good drama has uh, good actors, so we've got the good guys. Who are the good guys today? Well, we'll read about Paul and Barnabas and a guy named Titus. Well, there's bad guys in a drama too. And uh, in verse 4, I believe it is, they're mentioned as the false brothers. And these Judaizers have been coming up already in chapter 1. And boy, they're going to continue on as we study the book of Galatians. And then there's a unique group called, in this passage, the pillars. And and, And these are those leaders. Think of Peter and James and John. I think this should be interesting, looking at how they interact. And there's some lessons for us to learn today. So let's pray as we begin. Would you join me in in this? God, we ask that your word would be alive and would cut into us and divide us uh, in a way that we as individuals can look into that division and open us up and see what you want to do in our lives today, how you want to speak to us. Customize your word to each person here in this room this morning, to each person, a family online watching. God, that you just speak to us through your words, not through me, but through your word. And we're grateful for that, God, as we see the gospel defended and confirmed today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I think the big idea for us today is just simply this, the free gospel, the free gospel that is preached by Paul, that is preached by Paul is affirmed, and we see that today, and I hope that each one of you will affirm it today. So let's read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 
10. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. I went up because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to those recognized as leaders, so that I might not be running or have run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. This issue arose because of false brothers. So see, we've got all the characters just about in now. These false brothers, they smuggled in, who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus. Why? In order to enslave us. But we did not yield in submission to these people for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel would remain for you. Verse 6. But from those recognized as important, and then here's a, a parenthetical clause that Paul throws in there, uh, what they really were makes no difference to me. God does not show favoritism. Okay, you see that? Favoritism. But from those recognized as important, those recognized as important added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel for the uncircumcised, just as Peter was for the circumcised. For he who was at work with Peter in the apostleship to the circumcised was also, you see the word there? Also at work with me among the Gentiles. When Peter, James, and John, you may have Cephas in there, that's, that's Peter, recognized as pillars, acknowledged the grace that had been given to me. They gave the right hand of fellowship to me. If they given a right hand of fellowship, it must have not been COVID days, right? I mean, they were just shaking hands and everything. The right hand of fellowship to me and to Barnabas, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They asked only that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. So there's three words I want us to think about today, and the first word is this, direction. Just what does that pop into your mind as you think about that? What does direction mean? Paul had direction here in verses 1 and 2, and it's this, to go on a trip, to go on a trip to Jerusalem by revelation. So we see here in verses 1 and 2, it is a trip. It's a trip that is 14 years after something. And you're going, preacher, that's not very uh, clear to say after something. Well, uh, scholars are not sure. There's two views on this. Is it 14 years after Paul's conversion? Do you remember that Damascus Road experience? Acts chapter 11? Or is it 14 years after his first visit to Jerusalem, which would be Acts 15? And scholars are a little bit divided on this. I'm ready to give you the answer. Are you ready? I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly. And what I would even go so far as to say, it's not a big deal to me which, which way it is. You know what is the big deal? It's that Paul went. He had a mission to do, and he went. That speaks a lot to me. I need to go no matter what it is, even if I'm not sure of everything exactly. If God says go, you go. And so he went, he took Barnabas, and he took Titus. Now let's talk about these two guys for a minute. It's a great contrast, and you may already know that, but look at the contrast. Barnabas is his companion. Barnabas is a Jew, and Barnabas is a successful preacher of the Gospels already 
to the Gentiles. And then you have Titus. He is Paul's convert. He is an uncircumcised Gentile, and he was converted to Christ through this gospel of grace that Paul had been preaching. So you got to remember those two things, all right? Two different guys with Paul. Well, we see when it comes to direction, Paul not only takes the trip and goes to Jerusalem, but Paul does it by revelation. Do you remember that word from last week? It's by revelation. It's important to note that it's a revelation from God that has moved Paul to make this trip. It's not just something he thinks he ought to do. It's not just something that he's conjured up in his mind. It's not just, you know, I'll fix this or that. God has directed him to do this through revelation. Remember, the word is apocalypsis. It means an uncovering. We talked last week about in, in, in our vernacular, it'd be like taking the lid off the pot and being able to see, uncovering, being able to see inside. Remember this, when we think of divine revelation, it's God. And it's God making known what any man or woman or boy or girl could never discover for themselves. It's God, it's God. So what does Paul do? He obeys. And my question is then, why? Why the trip? Why go? And why do this? Well, I think we see uh, right off the bat that Paul is interested in resolving a crisis, really before it gets to be a huge crisis, before division sets in. If you don't deal with crisis or a conflict or something, it's just going to, it's not going to go away, is it? It's going to keep simmering and it's going to be more and more of a division. And so Paul, according to Scripture, holds this meeting. It's a private meeting, Scripture says, and it's with the leaders in Jerusalem. He does not want to make a bigger crisis. He does not want division. And I think he's a good example for us. I think this is something that we could do. Whether you're listening online or you're here in the room, how about we just have a pledge to each other that we're going to strive to be people who don't just cover things up, but we get to the heart of the matter and we try to be like Paul and get, get things squared away so we can move forward with the gospel. Now, remember something about Paul. He had been converted for many years now, and he had been preaching for a number of years, and he had been evangelizing for a number of years. He hadn't just been sitting under a rock waiting to come back to Jerusalem. No, he had been serving and had been traveling and had been sharing the gospel all over the place. And because of that, we see in verse Two, right at the end, that last phrase, he wants to make sure that there's not this division or conflict or there's not this competing stuff that's setting in where he had been wasting his time, if you will, where he had, his efforts had been wasted or had been in vain, according to the Scripture. Now think here for a moment about the content, the content of the preaching to the Gentiles. What's the content of this free gospel that we see and we're going to really see in the next weeks in Galatians? It's this. First of all, faith in Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith. So it's faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing else that makes one a part of God's family, that makes one in right relationship with God. Nothing else can be added. And secondly, no addition to the gospel, such as circumcision in this case, or anything else, is necessary. And I would just say this, meeting face-to-face is always a healthy first step when you're dealing with 
possible issues or principles or concepts, whatever it might be. We always just think of that as negative, but there's such a positive to that as well. And I was reminded of Romans chapter 14. Paul writes later uh, the book of Romans to the Romans. And in 14, 19, he says this. Listen closely. So then, he's summarizing, we must pursue. Isn't that an interesting word? We must pursue what promotes peace and what builds up one another. That's what I want to do. What about you guys? I want to... I want to pursue a good relationship. I want to pursue the peace that follows grace. I want to pursue that. And I want to do things that promote that. And I want to do things that build up one another. Unfortunately, us Christians are also often known for what? Shooting our wounded. Have you ever heard that phrase before? We're shooting someone or ourselves in the foot, all right? And we, it's our nature, and we have to be careful with that. So let's build up. And so the direction, that word I want you to remember, it's a revelation from God, and Paul and his companions are going, and they go to Jerusalem, and they have this private meeting, and they're trying to deal with this issue that these false brothers, these Judaizers have brought up, that they're trying to add circumcision into uh, being a Christian for these Gentiles who are uncircumcised. Well, let's look at the second word. We have direction. And now I want you to think for a minute about the word rejection. Now, we often think almost always of rejection in a negative way, don't we? Guys out there, did you ever have to? Uh, for you youngsters, there used to be a thing called a phone. And it, you used to have to hold this thing here. And there was a dial, a rotary dial. Anybody remember that? Or maybe you were a little younger and you pushed buttons. It's not like today. But, oh, we would want to ask that girl out. Ladies, you had it easy, I'm telling you. And we would dial that number and we'd hang up before it would ring, right? And we'd dial again. Why? Because we were worried about what? Her rejecting us. Rejection. But rejection is not always negative. Here, it's a positive. Paul, we see in the Scripture, is rejecting legalists. And legalism, those that want to add a rule or regulation or something into all this. And so uh, we have a test case here. In verses 3 through 5, look at that. He talks about Titus. Remember, he brought him along. Titus becomes the test case in this drama. And it's a test case for freedom from the law. Now, I've, I've been meaning to say this. Uh, the law is not necessarily a bad thing. Are you guys hearing me? I believe in the Ten Commandments. Do you guys? I believe that's in Scripture. In fact, a lot of laws around the world, did you know, they're based on the Ten Commandments. Think about it. So I'm not saying, I'm not looking for lawlessness or all that. What we're talking about here, though, is something specific. You can't add that into grace, the free gospel salvation. We can have standards and we can have rules, but those are separate from the act of being converted, of being saved, of what Paul has been preaching. And so here's the test case. And really he's there to see if the Jerusalem leaders would allow a Gentile to be a Christian without being circumcised because there's others who are saying, no way, Jose, that's not going to happen. And Paul, it makes it very clear, his response is an adamant no. The Judaizers, you see, are legalists, and they have added circumcision as a condition for salvation. 
That's the definition of legalism, adding that in. To impose circumcision on Titus would be to deny that salvation was by faith alone. Grace through faith alone. Think about that for a minute. Can you picture yourself? You, you look up to these Christians, and some of them are saying, no, you can't be a Christian because you hadn't done this, and it has nothing to do with salvation. Think of what a difficult thing that is and how heartbreaking that could be for the Gentiles. And now it turns in verses 3 through 5 into almost like a spy drama. Did you catch there's some interesting words here? We're reading, and in verse 4, it says, This issue arose because of false brothers. We know who they are. Because of false brothers smuggled in, who came in secretly to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus in order to enslave us. The freedom is the free gospel. It's not a freedom or a license to go sin or do this and that. It's the freedom to uh, an individual to accept by faith, the grace that God gives in salvation. And these words, smuggling, maybe you have sneaking in your version of Scripture. This secrecy, spying. These words, if you put them together, give us what is a military metaphor. It's as if he is saying here that they're traitors, spies, and they have infiltrated the ranks with lies. Boy, if you think of military, you can see how devastating that would be. Well, what about these false brothers? Let me just summarize four things and want you to think about it for a minute as we think about it. Number one is this. They're not who they seem to be. How would we know that? Well, we look right here. They're, they're sneaking in. They're having to sneak in. They're, they're having to spy they're having to smuggle. So they're not as they would seem to be. Have you ever met a person like that? They're not as they would seem to be. I have. Church, that's why it's so important to define terms. When we're sharing the gospel, when we're talking to people about Jesus, we must define terms, even the name Jesus, because people would have different ideas. They're, they're not even their words, their definitions are not what they would seem to be. I've talked with a number of people, and the word salvation, different for them than what I'm talking about. The word uh, relationship with Jesus Christ, different than what I'm talking about. Even Jesus, different than the Jesus of the Bible. Secondly, we see they're secretive. They're secretive in their work of disruption. Three, they carry out this disruption step by step. And we've seen it beginning and we'll see it continuing on. That step by step, they're doing these things. So they're not what they seem to be. They're secretive in their work of destruction. And they appear to carry this destructive action against the gospel uh, uh, step by step. And finally, they demonstrated connection between false te teaching and unworthy behavior. So Paul calls them out here. He says, the issue arose because of these false brothers. And then he uses those words basically to say, you know, they are uh, traitors. And their goal is to enslave us, to take away the freedom of the gospel from us. So Paul, I think, if you read between the lines, he views this as a life or death situation. 
Gospel freedom is at stake. And I can't say this clearly enough to us today. Gospel freedom is always at stake if we add or allow anything to infiltrate the message. Slavery will always be on the horizon. We are free because God saved us. It's not anything we have done. He even gave us the faith to respond to him. And when we do that, that gives us freedom in Christ. Not to go live how we want to, but to go live how he wants us to live. To be more and more like him and to share him with others. It's great freedom. Do you remember, especially those of you who were saved, uh, not when you were just a little kiddo, but do you remember the bondage you were in before you were saved? Anybody? It's amazing. And the freedom that you get from that. Wow. And I love the little phrase, don't miss it, in verse 5. He talks about there's no submission here. He says, not even for what? For an hour. I love that about Paul. He's a, he's a bulldog. He says, not even for an hour would this happen. He would not submit to this idea that these false brothers are sharing even for one hour. We, we might say, even, even for a second, he was not willing to do that. Oh, to have more Christians like Paul. Oh, to have more preachers like Paul. I think our world is dying for a solution to their situation. Don't you? And we have the solution. Not us, but Christ in us. Wow. I read this recently from a a popular author, and I want to read this as you think about these false brothers and legalism and legalists. A legalist believes the supreme force behind salvation is you. Y-O-U. If you look right, if you speak right, boy, I'm in trouble there, aren't I? And belong to the right group of people, you will be saved. That's what the legalist thinks. The result, here's some more of the quote, it's a sparkling outside. The talk is good, but look closely, something is missing. Legalism is slow torture. It's just enough religion for you to think it'll keep you, but it will starve you. Wow. Legalism, church, always stands in contrast to grace. We must fight it. Do you remember one of the great chapters in the Bible, John chapter 3? Isn't that an amazing chapter? The question is asked from Nicodemus, Nick at night, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus teaches and explains that, and it leads up to the, the great John 3.16 verse. And then John 3.17 about condemnation. And then it goes on and on. I want to read to you verse 36 in this great chapter. John, John 3.36 says it simply and in one phrase. Whoever believes in the Son, Jesus, has eternal life. Now the Bible talks about believing and what that means. But that's clear. It's clear as a bell to me. There's no extra rules or codes or rituals. Come on. So we have direction. We've talked about that. We have this rejection, which Paul is rejecting the legalists and the legalism. And then we have a third word, and it's reception. Reception. And what we're talking about here in verses 6 through 10, it's reception from these pillars 
the Jerusalem pillars, we're calling them, the pillars of this early Christian church and the Christian movement. So Paul begins this section, verses 6 through 10, uh, with an important truth. Look at it. Now, I'm going to not read the parentheses this time just to make it clear for you, but verse 6. But from those recognized as important, those recognized as important added nothing to me. On the contrary, they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel. And inside the parentheses, we have a little uh, definition of what he's talking about. And basically, it's a principle that states what? That with God, there is no favoritism. I think that's an important thing for us to state today. It doesn't matter the address or zip code you live in. It doesn't matter what your house looks like. It doesn't matter what kind of family of origin you grew up in or what kind of family you have now. It doesn't matter what your taxes look like. It doesn't matter. We, can you just fill in the blank? All those things really don't matter because with God there's no favoritism. There is nothing that we can accomplish that would save us. Now there's mission work for us to do after we're saved, but there's nothing that we could accomplish. And I, I think that's so important today. I feel like we live in a world where there's, there's, there's so many um, conditions and additions. Actually, in our world culture today, there's a lot of subtractions to the gospel message. And it's clear here that, that it, even someone as beautiful as Pastor Lamar, Gregory is laughing at me. We'll talk about that tomorrow, Gregory. No, okay. uh, no matter even how you look or how strong you are or how eloquent you are, it, it doesn't matter. You can't add something. Nothing is to be added. Verse 6, no modification should come from anyone, even the important ones. They add nothing to the free gospel. Now, that reminds me back in verse 10 of chapter 1. Take a look at that. Do you remember when we read that recently? 1.10, Paul makes it clear when he says, For am I now trying to win the favor of people or God? Or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a slave of Christ. It's an emphatic no to these questions. Of course not. I'm not a people pleaser. I want to be a Jesus pleaser. I want to follow him. And so it's clear there that as we begin this passage, this is where we are situated and looking at. And then we see that phrase in there, acknowledge the grace. What he's looking for from these leaders and what they give Paul is this. They see God's grace as God working through all of them. Isn't that wonderful? I, over my years of being a pastor, I've had so many people come to me and say, did you hear about that church down the street, around the corner, in the other town? And I always say, nope. And then they begin to tell me a little bit about it. And you know what the question always is, don't you? What do you think about it? And my answer usually is, I'm not interested in that church or telling them what to do. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do here in our church. 
You see, God gives grace and works through people, and some people and preachers and churches have specific tasks that God gives them. Have you ever noticed that? God makes up churches in different ways to reach different folks and do different things. And we see this here in these verses. It, the acknowledgement is there that some specifically are going to preach the free gospel to the Jews, and some specifically are going to preach the free gospel to the Gentiles. So we want to note that. Now, that doesn't mean exclusively to that. We know Paul's M.O. was to, to talk to everyone in the town he went to about, with the gospel, but they had some commissions, if you were, and, and, and they acknowledge these here. And, and they affirm, and I think that's important, not only does Paul defend the free gospel, but these pillars affirm it. And that's so important. Picture this early, fledgling Christian church being birthed and growing. Jesus had not died and been resurrected that many years before. And people are being martyred and killed. There's great perse persecution with the gospel. Always comes persecution. And this is all happening. And then they take care of this issue once and for all. And they affirm it. And they do something interesting. It says they extend the right hand of fellowship. I always wondered where that phrase came from. Did you guys? And it's a word you know, a biblical word that we know for fellowship, koinonia. Many of you have heard that word. And lots of times people will think fellowship. That's how it's translated here in my version, fellowship or association. I want to give you one more definition. I think it goes slightly deeper than that. It's association. It's fellowship. But it's of a close relationship. It's not just, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? And moving on. It's a close relationship. Shaking the right hand in those days was a sign of friendship and trust. It shows a partnership in the labor. And I want us to note something this morning to think about as we think about extending that right hand of fellowship and how these guys are coming together against the false brothers as they're coming together. It's this. We usually have close fellowship a close partnership with those that we have commonality with. Is that true? Think about that. We have that commonality, and they had it. Jesus Christ is the head of the church, and he offered salvation, and that's that commonality that they're agreeing on here. And there's the agreement. And look at that. It's very interesting. As we look at verse 9, let's look at that. When James, Cephas, and John recognized his pillars, acknowledged the grace, we just talked about that, that had been given to me, Paul, they gave the right hand of fellowship to me and Barnabas. And then there's the word agreeing, agreeing that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. There's agreement. And there's a word I don't want to miss there, agreeing that we should go. There's that go word again. Do you remember when we had the sermon on the Great Commission and then on the Great Commandment? Go, go, go. That's instructive for me. All of us must go. Church, that is our mission as well. The issue's been settled. The scripture has been written. What it is time for is for us to go and to share it. We don't have to battle with things being added or taken away. It's done. The revelation is right here in God's word, and we must go. Oh, I feel better. 
Now, some of you think, though, he just is always wanting us just to go. Listen, the struggle is real for me, just like it is for you, for you. We get to make the choice to go each day or each opportunity that's presented. And none of us are perfect. None of us are batting 100% with going, but we need to do that. Let's look for opportunities to affirm others. Let's appreciate others. Let's realize that submission to biblical authority is okay. It's okay. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. I see this picture, this drama of Paul and his guys and the pillars, and they're submitting to biblical authority. They're showing maturity, and they're ready to move on. Some going this way, some going that way. Sharing, sharing, sharing. So let me summarize in this way. I think there's three affirmations that we can see here today. First of all, and it's going to be a one, two, and three. Simple-minded, okay? One, what do you think it is? There's one gospel. One gospel. Two, I think there's two mission fields mentioned here. To the Jews, to the Gentiles. Now, you historians out there, does that, how much does that cover the Jews and the Gentiles? Uh, I think everything. Gentiles are all the rest. They weren't the Jews. God's, uh, God's chosen people. So there you have it. It's, it's two mission fields, but it's covering it all. And then three, there's the three pillars. So I think submit. They follow what God wanted them to do. And they affirm the free gospel and what Paul is doing, what Barnabas is doing, what Titus is doing and not having to do. So we see that. Let me close in this way. Let's close with verse 10. I think verse 10 is a post Script. Do you know what that means? You ever write a letter or note and you put a P.S. on it? Yeah, think about that for a minute. This is the P.S., okay? And it says this. They, they only ask that we would remember the poor, which I made every effort to do. And so this is the tag along. They, they did ask for something. And what does the poor mean here? In this context, when he writes the poor, it's the Christians who are in Jerusalem. Hear me. It's... It, it's don't make our own definition for it. It's the Christians in Jerusalem who are suffering persecution, even to the point of loss of property as we study these times. So there was, uh, they were poor because of their commitment to Christ. And they're saying, remember them. Paul was already doing that. What did he do when he came to Jerusalem? He came from Antioch and he brought what? He brought an offering. Paul came from Antioch to Jerusalem, and he gives an offering. He's already doing this, and he has no problem continuing to do this. He says, which I made every effort to do. Do you see the connection there between the Jewish Christians, even the persecuted ones there, and the Gentile Christians all coming together? They're serving together. They're praying together. They're giving together. That's instructive for us. Let us develop a pattern of cooperation around the truth of the gospel. Let us distribute the work of evangelism among us. Let us join together and care for others, specifically here for those who are persecuted because of their faith in Christ. But let's look around and see who needs care. Let me give you a picture as we're done today. It's a picture of this. The gospel is like a pure stream. Have you ever been on a mountainside in the mountains in a quiet place 
and listened and saw the pure stream. Not a polluted one, but a, a pure one. Nobody hardly gets to, nobody's messed with it. It's just crystal clear. Well, the gospel is like that. And this pure stream, those who drink from it, receive eternal life. But when people pollute it with extra requirements for salvation, when they add stuff into it, the stream gets dirty. And in this context today, we see false teachers, brothers, have snuck into Galatian churches and required something extra. And I would say to you today, there are still some today who would have us add things as well. Have you noticed that? Legalism turns a life-giving stream into a bitter, deadly, toxic stream. Let us preach today like Paul preached. Let us preach the free gospel. Our world needs to know. In fact, our world depends upon it. Let us pray. Lord, we just ask that your word would speak to us today. It's a strange time we're in, to now, in right now. A few people here and droves online watching. And God, right now, I'd ask that you would still, you know, whatever room that anyone is in right now, wherever it is today, that we would just contemplate, meditate, ponder your word. And we would see an example of the gospel and the contrast of the free gospel versus slavery to sin. And we would see Christian leaders coming together, uniting around the gospel. And we would see people going and sharing the gospel. So God, instruct us today. God, would you customize your word for each heart today? Would you speak to us? Lord, I pray for Christians. God, I'm so thankful to be among so many wonderful Christians here at Hoffman They bless me so much. God, I thank you for them. I thank you that you've saved them, that you've saved me. I'm so grateful for that. And God, help us to go and share. Help us to keep division away and keep the main thing the main thing. So God, let us examine our lives as Christians and see what you might have us do. And Lord, I especially have been praying for and want to pray right now, even again, for those who are thinking about this free gift that you want to give them, this salvation. God, I pray today, those listening, wherever they are, who are searching, would understand the scripture teaches that we have a sin problem. That we are to repent. That not to just be sorry we got caught in sin, but we are to turn from it and run to you, Jesus, and give it to you and ask for forgiveness. And God, that they would understand that you give forgiveness because you can. You shed your blood for the forgiveness of sin. You can do that. And Jesus, we thank you for that. And we had asked that people would repent, would turn and go to you and ask for forgiveness. 
and ask that you would save their life, that you would transform their life. And God, we know Scripture teaches us that you then become Lord of life. You become boss, master. So God, I, I pray for that to happen today. I long for that to happen. So God, help us to appreciate, to treasure the free gospel. God, I thank you that I didn't have to do something great and heroic to receive your love and salvation because I couldn't do it, Lord. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the example here in Scripture today. In the name of Jesus.